What a beautiful expression that is to fall into grace. That really is where Christianity begins, doesn't it? It starts right at that place, that falling into grace, that surrender. That's where it begins. And for some of us this morning, that may be where we need to get today, to fall into grace, to yield our lives to Jesus Christ. I'll give you an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes. We're also going to talk about what we need to do after having fallen into grace, because the Lord does call us to follow as well, and we'll see what he has to say about that. Very, very important this morning, but it's wonderful to see all of you here this morning, wonderful to have all of you also online as we worship together. We're going to go into the book of Matthew again. We're going right back to where we were, but before we do, I need to make one short announcement, and that is we're going to change our service times just a little bit. We need a little more time between the services for life groups. Some of our life groups are meeting on Zoom, most of them are, but we actually have a couple that are now meeting on the campus, and we need a bit more time for them to be able to do their thing. So starting next Sunday, the first service will start at 8.45 a.m. instead of 8.50, and this one will begin at 11.11. I got the same response this morning when I said 11.11. A few people like, why 11.11? Well, there are lots of reasons, but that's just what it is. It's 11.11, and so that's next Sunday, okay? And we're going to... Uh, just go forward. Uh, this is a crazy time, and in the next couple of weeks, I'll be able to share some things about our plans for the weeks ahead. Things are fluid, and so we're constantly having to adapt, but we are adapting, and we are going to go forward, and the church is not shutting down, and the ministry is going forward, and we're going to serve Jesus Christ in this season and in next and in everyone that follows that. Amen? Amen. So we're heading back to the book of Matthew again, and to remind you where we are, if you look at the screen on the left side, you see the Galilean ministry. Jesus is traveling throughout the towns of Galilee, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, driving out demons. And within that Galilean ministry, we saw last week, Matthew chapter 10, what we called the Sermon on Mission, as Jesus sent out his 12 disciples to preach the gospel and he told the church missional that is the church that was to follow in their footsteps people like us seeking to preach the gospel he said don't expect everyone to receive you well you might have good news but not everyone will count it as good news expect opposition expect persecution that was last week this is this week as we move on to chapters 11 and 12. In fact, this week and next week will be in chapters 11 and 12. Here we see different responses to Jesus. He just got through saying to his disciples that people are going to respond to you negatively. And we see in these chapters that's what happens to Jesus. Not entirely. Because as you read, you see in the beginning of chapter 11, John the Baptist, he's not an opponent of Jesus. You can't really say his response to Jesus is negative, and yet, and yet it is tentative. 
Jesus wasn't the sort of Messiah John expected, so he sends a message to Jesus. He wants to know, are you really the Messiah, or should we look for someone else? So he wasn't quite sure. And as Jesus travels throughout the towns of Galilee, we read in chapter 11 that those towns, as a rule, did not accept him, even his hometown. And then we see the Pharisees stepping up and their opposition to Jesus. It intensifies through chapter 11 and chapter 12. The Pharisees attack him for not honoring the Sabbath as they thought he should. And they attack him as well for doing his miraculous works by the power of the devil. That's what they claim. And then they insist, you need to give us a sign from heaven to prove that you really are from God. And so we have these these attacks from the Pharisees that are going on, these diverse reactions to Jesus. At the same time, here and there, there are these interludes of grace, words that are so encouraging and just so inspiring to us today. And we're going to look at one of those passages here in just a moment. But to give you just a sense of where everything's going today and next week, you see on the slide here, on the left side, you have life groups. And those life groups, by and large, are going to focus on two areas. This Sunday, some of you have already been to life group, the focus has been on the Sabbath controversies. The Pharisees criticizing Jesus for not being religious enough, not keeping the Sabbath as, they should, as he should. And then next week, these, our life groups are going to focus, at least most of them, on this demand for a sign that is deeply irreverent and Jesus speaks very sharply toward. But then this week in the sermon, I'm going to talk about rest for the weary. And then next week, Blake Sherman is going to preach on Jesus, the chosen one. Both of these messages come out of those interludes of grace. And so we have a lot of ground to cover today, next week. I want to encourage you, be part of the Bible journal, the, the prayerful study of Scripture that we're doing together. Join in with a life group. Be serious about your discipleship. Now, the text we're going to look at has already been quoted, at least in part, in fact, twice during this service. Let's go ahead and return to it now. If you look at the screen... Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I know those are, those are familiar words. We've all heard them in one context or another, but it's worth taking time to unpack them. I was actually counted to see how many times the famous Baptist preacher C.H. Spurgeon spoke on this text. I found 10 different sermons that he preached on it during the course of his ministry. If Spurgeon can preach 10 sermons, we can take 20 minutes to dig into it. Now, I want to approach it by looking at four questions. The first one is this. To whom is Jesus speaking? The answer is very simple. He is speaking to those who are not disciples, those who have not received his teaching, 
but desperately need it, whether they know it or not. They are finding that their lives are not going so well, not because they have troubles. Everybody has troubles. You can't escape problems without escaping life. He's talking about the weariness and the burden that comes not from having trouble, but from having our soul crushed by the troubles. If you think about it a moment, sometimes you see people as they age, they, they get weaker and weaker. I saw some time ago a man who had been on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine quite some time ago, the athlete of the decade, when I saw him, he was stooped over, barely able to stand up straight. That happens to all of us sooner or later if we live long enough. Our bodies give way and we stoop. And it's difficult to do what used to be easy. When Jesus talks about being weary and burdened, he's talking about that in your soul. Being stooped and burdened. He's not talking about having problems. We all have problems. He's not talking about problems that are huge because we frequently face those problems. He's talking about that weight that crushes you inside, that leaves you burdened and weary. And in fact, he's including religious burdens because over in Matthew chapter 23, he excoriates the the leaders, the religious teachers of his people, because he said they bind up these heavy loads and they lay them on people's shoulders. And then they won't lift a finger to help them with them. That's what religion can be like. All these obligations, all these expectations, do this, don't do that. It just wears you down and breaks you. So Jesus is speaking to those who are not his disciples and He's speaking to those within that group who are feeling the pressures of life on the inside. And what does he promise them? He promises rest. Rest for your souls. By which he doesn't mean passivity. Jesus is the one who said, take up your cross, not lay on a bed. So he's not talking about just relaxing and let God worry about everything and I just go my merry way. That's not what he's talking about at all. When he speaks about rest, it's a virtual synonym for salvation. The word is rooted in Hebrew ideas of Sabbath rest and shalom. Shalom literally means peace, but it's this bone deep kind of well-being that comes because of the blessing of God. It's the wholeness of life that comes under God's favor. That's shalom. When Jesus talks about rest, that's what he's talking about. He's not saying you won't have problems, but he's saying that I am offering you the kind of inner peace and strength and well-being that enables you not to stoop under it, but to stand up straight and live. Who doesn't want that? And so he says, he brings his command. What does he ask? He says, come to me. What does he command? Come to me is how it all begins. 
It's a command. It's also an invitation. He says, I want you to come to me. That is, I want you to enter into a relationship with me. Now, that relationship can only happen in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ is here by his spirit, and it's a spiritual relationship. In many ways, it differs from the kind of relationships we have with each other, but it is still a relationship, and Jesus calls us into that relationship. That's where it all begins. Until you have that, you have nothing. Until you come to Jesus, you don't know the rest that he promises. Come to me, he says. A man named Jacob Neusner, a rabbi, a history of religion scholar. In fact, he is, uh, or was, he passed away in 2016, probably the most prolific scholar of his time. In his lifetime, he published, either by writing or editing, 900 books. 900. How many of us have read 900 books? How many of us own 900 books? This man wrote or edited 900 books. How many books do you have to read to write 900 books? It's an amazing scholar. I didn't even try to count all the articles that he's written. Prolific scholar. Among the books that he wrote, this one, you see, A Rabbi Talks with Jesus. Pope Benedict identified this book as one of the most important books in terms of contributing to the dialogue between Christians and Jews written during this entire period. I think he was saying it was the most important book of the decade addressing that vexing question of how Christians and Jews should relate to one another. After Benedict said that, people started referring to Neusner as the Pope's favorite rabbi. So in this book, Neusner imagines himself back in the first century following Jesus, listening to his every word. And after following him for a while, he goes to visit a rabbi. The rabbi asks him, what did he take away from Torah? Neusner says, nothing. What did he add to Torah? And Neusner says, himself. And that, says Neusner, is what divides Judaism and Christianity. That's the issue. He says, I can follow Jesus on his teaching to that point, but then calling us to enter into relationship with him, finding our salvation in him personally, that I cannot do. See, that's unique to Christianity, that the Savior calls us into relationship with himself. In fact, in the Gospel of John, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know God and know me whom you've sent. That's eternal life, to know Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord calls us into. That's what separates Judaism, which focuses on Torah from Christianity. And it's not just with Judaism. Islam. A lot of people think you've got Jesus and you've got Muhammad. They're parallel figures. They are not parallel figures. Muhammad is believed to be uh, the greatest of the prophets, according to Muslims. 
But the center of Islam is not Muhammad. It is the Quran. Just like Torah for the Jews is the center of things. Jesus is not, obviously, but he is for us. Or take Buddhism. Buddhist teachers are known to say, if you meet the Buddha, kill him. They say it because the Buddha is not the point. You shouldn't get distracted by the person of the Buddha. It's what the Buddha taught that mattered. So forget the man, remember the teaching. But that's not Christianity. Yes, there's teaching in Christianity. We're going to see that in just a minute. Jesus himself is a teacher. But it all begins with coming to Jesus, entering into a relationship. Until we have that, we have nothing as far as Christianity goes. So if I want rest, I have to obey the command. If I want the promise, I have to obey the command to come to Jesus. But then there's another aspect of this. Come to me, and he also says, take my yoke upon you. Now, when we think of yokes, we usually think of a wooden board of some kind laid across the back of the shoulders of animals so that they can pull a plow through the field together. And some people think that Jesus is referring to that. And so he's saying, I want you to be yoked up with me. You know, I'm carrying this yoke. I want you to get in yoke with me and we'll, we'll pull together. That's possible, but it's probably not true. What he's probably referring to is what you'd call a human yoke, which is simply an instrument that helps somebody carry what they could not carry otherwise. And what he's saying is, I want you to come to me and take not the yoke of the Torah, but take my yoke upon you. See, what the rabbis taught was this, that there is a yoke. God gives us the Torah, and we are to take the yoke of the Torah upon ourselves. Sometimes they would say, you take the yoke of the kingdom of God upon yourself. You submit to that. Those amount to the same thing. Yoke of the law, yoke of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, no, come to me and take my yoke upon you. Here's what he means by that. I want you to take my teaching, my teaching upon you. By his teaching, he means his words, but also his way of life as it's depicted in the Gospels, the New Testament, and Truly, in all of Scripture, because in one way or another, all of Scripture points to Jesus. So Jesus says, I want you to come to me and take my teaching upon yourself. Submit to my teaching. Let it guide your way of life. Because it's only as you do that that you will find rest for your souls. You want to find that deep, sense of well-being that allows you to thrive even though you have problems and troubles, then you need a relationship with me and you need to follow my teaching. That's what he's saying. See, people follow so many different things, so many different ideas about what a good life is, and they run off in so many different directions, and they're trying their best 
They're trying their best to find happiness, but they end up defeating themselves time and again. And they find themselves overwhelmed by the life that they're leading, not realizing that Jesus knows what life should be, and he offers that to us, but we have to obey. Now, you might wonder about this because, <laughs> you know, this is Jesus talking. He talks about rest. You know, take my yoke upon you and, you know, experience rest. Yeah, but this is the one who calls us to take up our cross and follow. And this is the one who calls us to great self-denial. This is the one who said, you know what, that easy wide road, that leads to hell. The narrow hard road, that leads to everlasting life. So how is it that the teaching of Jesus gives us rest? And the answer there comes in, in what he says about his yoke. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Greek word for easy is kletos. And it has the idea, when it's used of a person, of someone who's genial and collegial and gracious, and maybe the best translation would be kind. Somebody's kind. So he says, my yoke is kind, by which I take him to mean my yoke fits you well. See, a, a yoke that was made for oxen had to be carefully fitted to each animal, otherwise it would chafe and wound the animal. Jesus is saying, my yoke is kind. It's fitted to you. It, it depicts the kind of life that leads to a good life. And that's what takes away the burden. So in one way, following Christ is so very, very hard. But paradoxically, when we follow the way of Christ, his yoke is easy. It's kind. It fits us. It's the way life is supposed to be. So the fourth question, what does all this mean for disciples? I pointed out at the beginning, Jesus isn't talking to disciples. He's not saying to, to his disciples, listen, come to me and be my disciple. You know, come to me and learn my teaching and be my disciple so you can get rid of the burdens you have now as my disciples. <laughs> He's not doing that. He's talking to non-disciples. But here's the thing. None of us are perfect disciples. We come to Jesus and so often we, we accept this teaching or that, but maybe not the more uncomfortable ones. It's... it's a hodgepodge approach to discipleship. We have a few ideas about what it means to follow Jesus, and we make this and that change in our life, but it doesn't make a huge difference in our lives. And if someone, if someone were trying to build a case against us, let's say Christianity were outlawed, and they want to convict you in a court of law, they might have a hard time doing it. There's not enough evidence. You're a nice person. But you're not all that different from anyone else because you're just kind of making this and that adjustment to your life based on this and that statement in Scripture. The way we find real peace and rest is by being serious disciples. 
conscientious disciple. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Not learn about me, but learn from me. And what he means by that is he wants to teach us. And the way he teaches us is as we attend to his words and actions as set forth in Scripture. As we attend to the New Testament that tells us all about Christ and his significance and his teachings. Even the Old Testament as it points to Christ. We attend to scripture and it's through that that Jesus teaches us. And it's by obeying that teaching that our life changes. I want you to think about the last year. Those of you who've been here at First Woodway the last year. We have in church, stud, and in, in life groups as well, studied Ephesians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Romans, now we're in Matthew. Why are we doing that? It's not because, well, you know, church, you're supposed to study the Bible in church. That's not it at all. It's because we all need to know him better, and we all need him to teach us. So I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to become part of this school of discipleship, to come to Jesus and enter into a relationship with him, a spiritual relationship with him. That means prayer. But then also, use our Bible reading journals and begin to make the scriptures part of your daily life, reflecting on them, praying through them. And then be here when we meet and we study scripture together, whether in worship or in life group. Make that commitment. See, it's not, it's not complicated. This is all very simple. Having our life Change is not complicated. It's not easy. It's not easy because the Lord's commands are sometimes not easy. And we need to help each other. It's not easy. But it's also not complicated. It's a matter of coming to Christ and receiving his word. Amen? I want you to pause for just a few moments with me. I want you to just remain with these thoughts. And what area, ask yourself, what area is out of kilter for you? I mean, what, what's troubling you? What's that burden? It could be unforgiveness. It could be guilt. It could be impossible demands that you can't possibly meet, and they keep bearing down on you. It may be a sin. It could be lots of things. But what is that thing? Let's, let's quietly allow that to come to mind. And as it does, let that thought sit in your mind along with the thought that Jesus Christ is here right now, present with us at this moment. Jesus is here. And let those two thoughts come together. Because that's where grace happens. I'll lead out loud in prayer for just a moment. But would you do that? Let's pray. Those of you online, pray right where you are, quietly where you are.
Lord Jesus, we want you to teach us. We want you to lead us into life that is life indeed. We want rest, peace, shalom. Lord, we don't want to be broken inside. We want to stand up straight in your grace. Lord, we want a relationship with you that is evident in the quality of life that we lead. And so we ask you, Lord, to do your gracious work in us now. Do your gracious work in us now. Jesus' name.